Welcome to Running is Bullshit, I'm Stuart. And I'm Amy, and you're listening to the podcast that loves to hate running. Amy, it's the day of the London Marathon. Do you wish you were there? No. No, me either. I, you know what, I haven't even watched it on TV, because I was out doing a long run this morning, so I haven't even... Normally I sit and watch it, but... Have you watched it on TV before? Yeah, I, always, I used to always watch it's it. Same, same thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exact same thing. Same thing happens every is, year, doesn't is it? Is it bad? <laughs> is it bad that when they interview people with costumes, I just don't really care? <laughs> yeah, I get that. And there's always the postman, isn't there? I wonder if he's doing it again this year. There's always that guy who's a postman in terms of being his postman's outfit. And he's like, yeah, of course you can run a fucking marathon. You're a postman. Like, you walk for miles every day. This isn't special. <laughs> yeah, and I just see they're making a thing at the end. Oh, there's Chris Evans finishing. I'm like, yeah, but he does it every year. Who gives a shit anymore? Oh, oh. Sophie Rayworth. Yeah, she's good. Great. But and they update you throughout. Anymore, they it? usually have like a little map showing you where all the celebs are. It's like, I do not give a shit. I mean, who, who cares? I kind, of, I kind of wish they spoke to more regular, normal runners. Because I know normal runners are, are pretty dull. If they were just saying, well, this is actually my sixth marathon. I'm aiming to get under four hours for the fifth time. It's in a way, it's not that interesting, but I think I'd rather that because it's more relatable to me as a fairly normal runner than to people in a fucking tree costume yeah. who's raising money for badges or something. It sounds really bad though because it is like a massive charity event as well. <laughs> I know it is bad. I, I do feel guilty, but I'm like, I just don't really care. The bit I love, the, my favorite part of it, is what I was just doing, uh, what I was doing just now. Watching the people at the end who are on their ass. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who can the people who can't bend their knees anymore. There was a guy who's running with his body was forty five degrees to his legs. It was amazing. <laughs> and just those people are just the funniest to watch. Yeah. I feel so bad for them. Like, they'll be fine. Get a bit of glucose and a bit of water and they'll be fine. But it's so funny. Definitely. <laughs> uh, how are you doing, Amy, after your race? Uh, uh it's been two weeks since I did my thirty K race and I'm still aching, I'm still hurting. <laughs> I'll get over yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Just, just you know, just forget about it. it doesn't matter. But um, I've got to carry on, keep going out training because I've got this bloody thirty miler that I've entered for right the first weekend in November. So that's what three weeks away, four weeks away, something like that. So yeah. I've got to carry on going out and doing the long runs and stuff, which absolutely suck. And I don't know why I've entered this fucking race. It seems like a good idea at the time. And now I'm thinking, I need some time off. I need some, not necessarily off, off, like not doing anything, but just some time where I'm not having to do like 15 plus miles at the weekend, every weekend, you know, that that's what I need because I've been going out and running this week. It's been great, lovely. I've actually been really enjoying just going out and doing like 10K, seven miles or so. But this morning I had to go out and do, well, I was supposed to do 20 miles. I only ended up doing 17 in the end because I was getting some like proper aches that were like... That's a waste of a run. 17? I know, I know. What's 17 about? But anyway, it's not even an even number. Uh, But I was getting some of those aches on the verge of injury. And you think, you know, if I push it one more mile, that'll be it. So, but I'm just knackered. I I just, I, I don't know why I've decided to do these things. Because I could just do... It's the things we do for content. Oh, God. Yeah, the things we do for content. So, yeah, that's absolutely bullshit this week. Um, how's how's things with you? Have you got anything to moan about? Of course I have, yeah. Um, the main one is, is watch complaints. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of hate watches anyway. I was a very late adopter to running proper running watches because I just couldn't be bothered. But now on my, my current watch is a, a Polar M400. The lock button on it, which I've never used, I don't see the reason why it needs to exist, uh, has got stuck. And so sometimes it'll just lock itself. So when I'm not using it, it'll lock itself. And then when I need to use it, I can't unlock it. But I found I can unlock it sometimes. If I hit it, 
that kind of works because the button sort of lost its springiness and doesn't really press in properly. So I never know if I'll actually be able to use it, if whether hitting it will work or not. So I, I mean, I've looked online and apparently there's no just, just and apparently there's just no fix for it because I've seen a few people saying they've got this issue and just no replies to those threads. Do you hate those threads Ugh. where you find precisely the problem you need, but it was posted six years ago and no one's got any answers for it? Yeah, or, or no one replies. Or then somebody's posted two days ago saying, I've also got this issue. Please let me know if you can help. Yeah. It's like, yes, lots of people have this issue and there's no no uh, yeah. answer, but yeah. <laughs> so I can't fix a sticky button, so I might have to buy a new watch. Mm. I just hate the idea of having to buy a new watch. Mm. Um, I only bought it I said I was a late adopter because the Strava app stopped supporting heart rate monitors. Mm. But now they do. So I could use my phone. But, you know, I do recognize watches have a value in races and things like that. And mm. where I'm trying to time myself, so they are actually useful. But the idea of researching God. which one I want and shopping for, I just find so utterly tedious. It's a whole thing. I just don't want to get into it's it. It's a whole thing. And because running watches are quite expensive, it's not like a pair of socks. I'm just like, yeah, anyone will do. I have to do the research because I have to know exactly what I'm buying. If I'm spending 100, 200 quid on a watch, I have to know that it's the best watch for my needs. So I spend hours and hours and days and days just, live, you know, looking through and comparing. And yeah, that whole process is just a nightmare. Yeah, Holly's trying to justify it to me by saying like, yeah, okay, it might be 250 quid, but you're going to use it basically every day for the next three or four years. And like, yes, that's a very good point. But I still don't want to spend that much money because it still feels like a lot of money. Yeah, yeah that's exactly it. Yeah. Oh. Um, so I might have to buy a new watch. Mm. Mm. Um, I've also got a comment about a friend who's just run a half marathon immediately followed by a marathon in Helsinki. Obviously, that's a very good achievement. Mm. Her pacing was incredibly um, accurate and, and strict and she you know, did an amazing job. But she recorded it as one single run with an hour in the middle still like paused and then restarted and i'm like that shouldn't be a single run on strava i don't think i don't i, don't, I was gonna say i don't want to be the strava police but i absolutely will be in this case I, feel, I don't think that should be a single run i feel like it is a single because i feel like if i was running that distance as an ultra then yeah it might take an hour in between that, that's a different situation <laughs> that is a different situation you've run an event a, an ultra single event 63k that's one event but if you're running a half marathon, an hour, and then a marathon, that's two different things. Mm, I think I'd I think I'd leave my watch on. I'd like to know what the listeners think. Would you leave your watch on in that situation or would you Well no, it you know what the events? distance is because you just add the two together. Yeah, but I want it on my watch to show that I've done it one after another, like in succession, you know? It's still on Strava though, it's still like your daily total will still be that much. I know, but the defeat of doing one after another, to me, deserves one continuous workout. Yeah, I take nothing away from the achievement. It's very good, but I just, I just want to be strict about the Strava, and I don't think that should be a single run. But that was the event. The pause was part of the event. Okay, Holly's telling me over my shoulder that that kind of was part of the event. Yeah. You know, she got like an extra medal, but it's, there was still an hour in between, and it's still if there was a, a finish line and then another start line. Hmm. Mm, no, I, I think it should be all clusters one, one activity. But there you go. Well, you're both wrong. <laughs> all th- actually, all three of you are wrong, because Holly's wrong as well. <sighs> Coming up on this episode, we'll be speaking to Tim Bainan about his prostate. Uh, weirdly, we'll talk about things you like about running, and we'll be lolling more at the Brighton Marathon and a stupid race I've done. But first, let's catch up on the last episode. 
So Nicola Ford has been in contact on Facebook and says, just when I was thinking, why do I listen? It's all about dogs or tea. Then you mentioned mm. pizza for breakfast back in the room. And yes, jackfruit is bullshit. Hashtag still my people. Nicola, I'm sorry. I, we appreciate, yeah, pizza for breakfast. But if you're not into dogs or tea, well, see. I mean, this is episode 73 now. Yeah. I, I don't know why you're still listening, if yeah. that's the case. Yeah. Do you think she's just pissy we haven't invited her on yet? <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. That's probably what it, it is. It was a bit of a backhanded compliment there because we very much value our discussion around dogs and tea. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's mostly what it is. Uh, Samantha Benson said, Brighton Marathon was well known for running out of water a few years back when it was unexpectedly warm. It was also 146 metres too short four years ago. Measurements are not their strong That's what point. I was thinking of. When I was saying, oh, they messed up before, it was the, the 146 uh, meters too short i remember from years ago there have been all these news articles about it being too short oh <laughs> oh bless them they've, they've had a, a bad few years but surely that's that's the main thing about an event like that is to make sure it's the right distance like the the main the main thing in a marathon is the distance surely that everyone co- that covers a distance of a marathon like that is somebody's yeah. job is to go well probably a lot of people's jobs to go out and measure and make sure it's the right how can you fuck up the distance of a race like that I, well i can see like with this year and again potentially that one four years ago it's well, those turnaround points i think they're the tricky bits mm. i think because it's it, it is quite easy i guess to put the cone in the wrong place and set it out in the wrong place so that's uh, that seems to be where the problems arise still I mean, that's what you get for having turnaround points in a marathon. That's horrible. Still, for it to happen twice within the space of like five years, you know, I mean, come on. Yeah, uh, we did see about Brighton though, which is a good thing. They offered trees, not teas. And three and a half thousand runners chose that option, which is just under half. There was just over 7,000 people in that event. Three and a half thousand people chose to plant a tree instead of having a t-shirt, which is amazing. Yeah, fair play. Yeah, I, I like initiatives like that, but... First and foremost, maybe just make sure your course is measured correctly. <laughs> no, t-shirts are more important than course measuring. <laughs> and I want to give my most heartfelt and gracious of thank yous to Michelle Lamar, Gabby Nay and Danny Norman for complimenting my last song, which was a banger. Mm, to be fair, yeah, it was. <laughs> there should have been a little bit more comms on this, I feel. But, but I'll take what I can get. William. Polly's just gone out, so he's going to be fussy now. Amy, how's your week's bullshit been? Uh, well, like I already mentioned, I had a bit of a fail long run. Although I just still did 17 miles, and I still like. I mean, that's pretty if good. If I bring it like next week, if I manage to get a 20 miler in next week, I'm still good for the ultra. Like I said, it's like three or four weeks away. I've got plenty of time. It's fine, and I have done like a trail marathon, 18 miler. An ultra over the last month or so, so I, I think I'll be Gucci. Is it's going to be okay? You, you're doing all right. I'm all right. Yeah. I'm all right. I'm falling apart a bit, but other than that, the mileage is all right. Um, but I will say something that I don't think is bullshit, which I think I've said is bullshit before, is virtual races because Ooh, I yeah. Okay. But well, there's a caveat to this. Um, so today, when I was out on my my run, I saw uh, I think there's two virtual races going on today. There's London Marathon virtual race for sure. And then is Cardiff half the virtual one today yeah, as well? Yeah, there's a virtual one. Yeah, so I saw well. quite a few people, um, a lot of them with like numbers pinned to them, but also also other people that didn't, but it was clear that's what they were doing because um, they had people cycling alongside them and stuff like that, mm. and chatting away to them. 
Uh, and I just thought it was really nice. And I was like, going, yeah, well done. So I think I do like virtual races. I think the only thing is they just need to be all on the same day. You know, there needs to be like that critical mass for it to feel like cool and special. And, you know, should like all virtual races should be <laughs> <on one day. laughs> like the London virtual marathon. I don't think it would be the same if they said, oh, yeah, you can do it any time within the next month. You know, I, I think the fact mm. they're doing it all today is a really nice thing. And to see everyone with like their numbers on and, and stuff like that, I think it's pretty cool. And I think also it makes it a lot more accessible because if you were going to go out and walk the whole thing, then maybe take a break in between like and take 12 hours. I think that's fine. Like you're still you're covering yeah. the distance and you haven't got the pressure then of either calf times or if you just feel maybe self-conscious about being right at the back or something or you know whatever like when I did the virtual London marathon last year because uh, I hadn't really trained for it I walked a lot the first half of it was lit with Liz Reese um, and then I had a bath in between and then I went out and did the second half of it and I ran the second half yeah. and it, it just makes it a lot more accessible as well so yeah that I thought that wasn't mm. bullshit. I quite liked that today, seeing everyone doing... And also seeing people actually absolutely soaked in all the rain and just having a miserable time. Um, yeah, I saw a lot of those people out today as well. And, you know, I everyone I saw, I waved to, said, well done, gave them thumbs up. I was really happy for them. Because, you know, if you're doing a marathon on your own, that's fucking brilliant. Of course, you're doing a marathon, that's great. But I'm just like, why is there a virtual London marathon? <laughs> like, the London marathon has happened. It's still happening, and it's at like full capacity as normal. Mm. Why is there a virtual one? Because you've run a mar- again, you've run a marathon that's great, mm. but why is that the London marathon? It's not the London oh, marathon. Okay, you've yeah. just run a marathon. Yeah, I get it. That's that's the thing I don't get about I, it, and I don't understand why it exists. I think it's the whole thing around the London marathon. You know, being one of the big marathons is a recognisable name. <laughs> being the only marathon. Yeah, but I, I I get that because but that's how you gain that critical mass by having a really super one of the most popular running events in the uk mm. and making it virtual i think that's how you gain that critical mass so that's why you see so many people out doing it so i get that um but i thought as well is there anything to stop you entering like 12 virtual marathons running it once <laughs> and just sending that strava link off to all of them and saying look i've done it no, i guess not but, well, no, it isn't really, but i guess and also like, if you just no, like, and also <laughs> you have to still pay for the t-shirts and medals that you're getting from it so <laughs> but that's the point you're just paying for a medal and a t-shirt yeah, no, you're doing it like once. if you ran 24 miles if you ran like 20, 24 miles, you'd still get your medal and t-shirt, but you haven't run a marathon. Uh, you, for the London Marathon... I know you sometimes have you have it. to send in like the... The London Marathon has its yeah, own app okay. and you have to track it. So. so do they do they not send you? Like if you if your thing tracks 25.9 miles, do they not send you a t-shirt? Uh, I don't think so because I think you have to finish it. I don't know. If people who are run, running the virtual this year let me know. But like I'm pretty sure you get to the point on the app and it tells you like you've done it now yay at least that's where it was last year and i think that's the only okay. way you can get like a finishers medal and stuff mm, i still remain skeptical <laughs> um the other thing this week that wasn't completely bullshit was that i was spotted in cardiff bay a oh, listener well spotted me and i'm sorry like if you're a listener also goes to our club or something like that and i'm supposed to actually know you I'm sorry, I didn't recognise you. In my defence... It wasn't just like Liz or something, no, was it? No, no, no. I was running with Jen, and I and uh, this guy was just stood to one side, let me fast, and I went, thank you, and he went, Amy from Running is Bullshit. Like, that, <laughs> that was spotted. Um, but yeah, sorry if I actually know you in real life, but you were wearing, like, sunglasses and stuff. You were very incognito. But I'd like to think I don't nice. know you in real life, and that was like a... I'm a celeb, you know, I'm a celebrity in Cardiff Bay and somebody recognised me. Or maybe somebody came to oh. Cardiff Bay for that very reason, just to see if they could catch Amy Genders running. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. fan club. So, uh, and Jen was like, oh my God, you're famous. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. I'm yeah, that is just a normal occurrence yeah, to me. It's all my runs. It's not a big deal, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, uh, mess- message in if, if that was you. And if I actually know you in person from club, I'm so sorry, but you were like in disguise. So <laughs> I'm sorry if we've met and known each other for four years, yeah. which is possible. <laughs> to be fair, like when you see people from club in their civilian gear, I, I have no, mm. I-, I have no idea who they are. No idea. Yeah. All. You've got to be in your running kit or else I'm not going to know who you are. So, yeah. So that was my, actually not really much bullshit this week. That was my pretty like, oh, okay. what's the opposite of bullshit? Nice nice stuff don't know it's never occurred to me to think about <laughs> no, it no i know <laughs> anyway what's your bullshit from this week Stuart? well amy i mentioned i did a stupid race mm-hmm. you know i love these stupid races it's the first of the south wales winter hill series which is a series <laughs> of words that just puts you off entirely i know yeah. <laughs> um it was the first of the fell races van Vauer, which i put a little video on social media van Vauer means big hill in welsh basically um so yeah which it's well named uh, it was one mile up and one mile down uh there was 30 mile an hour winds driving rain uh, no grip no visibility and it, it cost two quid I signed up literally in a bus stop that is my kind of race quid a mile isn't it it could have that is a bargain yeah um we had little paper numbers which immediately fell off i don't think anyone started the race with a number on let alone finished because like, i took three strides and it was hanging off one pin because it was soaked through so no one had numbers on. So it was just a case of trying to remember your number, then scream at the person when you finished. Um, a mile up, mile down. The mile up was, as you can imagine, hard work. A mile and 300 meters, or about 900 feet of elevation. And as I put on my like, race report on my uh, club Facebook page, when it comes to fell runs and the hills that you kind of do there, you are never prepared for them. You are never properly prepared for a really big hill. Like, if even if you run it before... You've seen photos, you've seen videos, you know, okay, right, there's a 300 meter hill, it lasts about a mile, blah, blah, blah. Until you see it, like, I, we did quite a lot of, you know, uphill on the way, to, and there's like the one final main slope, and it just like appeared out of the mist, and I was just like, fucking hell. It just looked like a wall. I mean, I think the gradient on a lot of it was 35%, so like a one in three hill. And I'm just trying to think of like how to put that into perspective for people. I think like, so imagine like just looking across the, if you're indoors now or when you're in your living room, look across the room at like the opposite wall. If that opposite wall is maybe six meters away, by the time you've gone that far, your elevation is two meters. So you're higher than your head now walking across that room. That's the kind of elevation that was for a couple of hundred meters. And it's just ridiculous. And it was awful. And I hated it. I hated the uphill. It felt so long. And it was just even on the way up there, I was just thinking, because, you know, your legs are just destroyed and you just have to keep trudging. And, you know, cr- literally crawling as well, pulling myself up with my arms and just uh, crawling up on my hands and feet at points. And I was thinking, like, I, I, I'm looking forward to running this downhill and just getting back, but I do not want to race it. I have no interest in racing anymore. I don't want to... I don't want to run fast. There's no way because people, it's only you know, only one mile up, mile down. As the front runner started coming past, flying past, it's like, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to do that. I got round the cairn at the top um, in 18 minutes, so 18 minute miles on the way up, and just a little bit of downhill. Then I was like, oh, you know, actually, I can run, and it's just amazing how quickly it can change from uphill to downhill. A little bit of a nice kind of gradient of downhill, and all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I can actually run now. But then I got to this slope again, and it was, again, because it was misty, got to the edge of it, and it was just, you couldn't see anything. There was just a drop and nothing. And I got up to it, I was like, oh, fucking hell, here we go. And I saw um, my clubmates ahead of me, and they were kind of, they may be halfway down, they'd kind of got a bit, a bit of a lead over me up the hill. Um, 
<laughs> and the guy, the guy in front of me, uh, it looked like he kind of tripped, but I think it was actually intentional. And he just went on his ass and started sliding. And I was like, you know what? That looks like a banging idea. And so the whole way down this slope, probably a good couple hundred meters, I slid on my ass at amazing speed. It was like sledging. There's like no grip. I was just on my ass sliding down. I think I dropped about 50 meters of elevation in maybe 20, 30 seconds, which is crazy. It was just the most fun I've ever had on a run. It was so stupid. I was just down the hill and I was like, woo, yeah, just sliding down. Kind of had my hands down as well, just to kind of control it a little bit. Flew past my club mates who are much, much better runners than me. I'm like, ha bitches. And that they started sliding a bit then as well, because once they realized that was an amazing idea. And so then I basically had to like hop back up onto my feet and start running again. Uh, but I had to kind of slow myself down because I managed to get a good kind of angle back up on my feet, but then had to slow down because I was fucking buzzing after that and then start running again and just like going through all the bogs. It was really boggy and muddy and wet. There's a few streams crossing and I was just going straight through everything. So I'm, I'm running downhill, I'm running fast. There's no point trying to dodge anything, trying to find the grip, just going to go straight through it. Um, so, you know, a few hundred more meters uh, running downhill. Another kind of short, um, sharp slope then on my ass again because my club mate right behind me, she was catching me up. And so, all right, I'm on my ass again, slid down that as well, jumped back up again. Um, and, yeah, managed to run into the end and managed to beat both of these uh, runners, which who are, frankly, much, much better runners than me. I've got no business beating either of them. But you know what? It's brain over brawn. You don't have to be the fastest runner to win. Exactly. It was, it was just amazing. It was such a stupid race. And the bit I loved the most, because we were joking about it at the beginning, uh, my clubmates uh, with me, uh, one of them, uh, she's from the Netherlands and the other one's from South Wales. And so I was joking that, is the, the woman from the Netherlands and the man from <laughs> Norfolk beating the one from South Wales in a fell race? And yes, we did. <laughs> That's how we do it on the East Coast, bitch. North Sea Squad. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's how we run fells in Norfolk. Oh, yeah. So that was an amazingly stupid race. Oh, and previous guest, Matt O'Keefe, Massive Keith, um, said he was going to be there. It wasn't. Lied. So what? I think he's probably still recovering, to be fair. I've seen his Strava and I think he's still recovering. But he's a liar. We can put that out there. All those people that were propositioning him via our social media, which there was a fair few, to be fair. Um, you can, yeah, you can forget that. I'm sorry. Never trust Massive Keith. Never trust Massive Keith. Um, so, yeah, next fell run in about a month or so. So, lots of fun. Hopefully, it's soaking wet again. I can slide on my ass because apparently that's my secret weapon. Is this another sort of one mile up, one mile down? Uh, no, this one's about, this is a really long one, like 6K. Oh, oh God. <laughs> 6K is really long. Well, yeah, especially if you're, te- you know, like climbing up on your hands and knees. I think, yeah, this, this one's more of a proper actual run. Uh, yeah, this uh, the one I just did, 18 minutes up the hill, eight minutes down the hill. <laughs> it would have been slower if it was dry if, if it was actually runnable it would yeah, have been slower yeah. because I would have actually had to like, walk down that slope because it was crazy steep so that's the fun that I have you'll never catch me at one of those races ever because it combines the things I hate hills and mud yeah over winter it's not, it's not ideal <laughs> uh, anyway uh, let's head over to our guest right now We're talking to Tim Bainan, whose experiences I will not call a journey or a battle uh, with prostate cancer has made its way into his book called Running Drug, uh, which carries the tagline, how a running addiction helped one man overcome cancer, conquer a marathon and rediscover life. Um, So hi, Tim. Welcome to the podcast. 
Hi, guys. How are you? Yeah, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Uh, how is your life rediscovery going? How is my life rediscovery going? Gosh, yeah. <laughs> every day is every day is a, 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 question, a, a rediscovery. Yeah, it is. I, I think having kids is the thing that makes me uh, rediscover life every day and how stressful it is. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> no, it's all good. Thank you. Um, so we'll go on to the book and uh, kind of the main reason we've got you on the podcast uh, in a bit. But first up, we'll do the usual thing and get a little bit of your running background, how you got started and what kind of what kind of runner you are. Oh, gosh. What kind of runner am I? Probably not a very good runner, really. I, I'm not a very good runner in that I don't follow the the what you should do. Like, I, I know I've I've run for, you know, I'm in my miss or mid 40s now. I've run since my 20s and that's all I've done. You know, I've kind of I've kind of avoided all the weights and all the core and all the other things that you need to do and should do. And all the, um, you know, all the cross training and everything that everyone says, all the books say you've got to do, everyone, all the coaches say you must do it. And I've kind of, so I've avoided that completely. Um, And the result is that I'm an often, often injured and uh, (laughs) sort of always sort of disappointing myself whenever I take, take part in a race and, and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I don't know. I, I I love running. It's something that that I've I've always enjoyed and uh, started off, as I said, in my in my twenties. And I think actually it was a mate of mine who who uh, sort of got me, you know, challenged me to a ten k. There things there were things in London called night ten k, the night ten k mm-hmm. events that started in London in the in the early two thousands, I think. And um, he got me to, into one of those as a challenge because at the time I was spectacularly unfit. In my very early twenties, I'd done you know I did nothing at all. So I was a complete sort of sloth at the time. And uh, so he sort of challenged me to this event and that sort of kicked it off, really. I did, I, I did a bit of some terrible training for that and, and then um, sort of crawled around it and somehow or other sort of got, got hooked from there and it sort of went on from there, really. But that was what it, where it all started in my early 20s. Isn't it amazing how like your first experience can be so, so bad, but you carry on anyway? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it was a... It wasn't like it's a terrible race. So I remember this 10K race that I that I did. And uh, at the time was, I mean, I did it in, I think it was over an hour. I did it and it was terrible. It was so it was at no point was it enjoyable at all. Uh, and then, yeah, for some reason I kept running afterwards. So I don't know, I don't know why, why I just kept going, but I did. So there you go. Strange. So you're kind of more of a, a regular runner now. And um, in your book, I read, there's the bit that jumped out at me that I thought was interesting as well. Something that you call runner's OCD. Yeah. Oh man. What is that, that about? Is it, do you guys not have that? Is that just me? We, we were talking about it be- before um, you joined the call and I was saying there are certain things like I was running with a friend the other day and I'm doing my normal loop that I do my 10k loop and I was like no no we need to cross the road at this very particular place we can't cross further up or, yeah. or just before that it needs to be at this place. So I think that's kind of that is, what, so, what it is. So, so when you do that 10k loop do you always do it in the same way? Like you wouldn't would you do it? Yeah yeah yeah. Way? I've done it the other way before, but it feels very strange. It feels a lot longer and harder. <laughs> there you go. That, I, I think that's runner's OCD because I definitely have that because I always run the same routes in the same same way. I cross the roads at the same point. I do all that kind of stuff. But then I have these kind of weird things like I run across a football pitch and during the football season, if the goal's up, I always have to sort of tap the goal as I, as I run past. And if I don't, it kind of, that kind of unsettles me. I tried that. I tried, I tried it once and I didn't do that and I ran past it. And about 200 yards later, I turned around and ran back and tapped it and then kept going again. So I, I think that a, might be regular OCD. That, that, yeah. I, yeah I'm a, but in, in no, other, no other aspect of my life mm. is if I do that. I don't go for a walk, you know, with my family and then sort of have to stop halfway and 
take a photograph at a certain point or anything like that. So it's it's yeah, I'm a weirdo in that front. But you know, it's it's, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely have that kind of proper OCD. But I hear it's not it's not abnormal, and it's definitely in the book I wrote about. I read about um, Pele. And this is a brilliant story. So so he um, he uh, had a, had a lucky shirt which he 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 wore, and he went on a massive um uh, uh goal streak in his in his heyday and he was scoring for his club every every week and then one week he scored and he got carried away and he threw his shirt away in celebration and uh and then sort of about four or five games after that he didn't score so he thought it was the shirt so he <laughs> he, he went on a mission to find the shirt and um he got his manager to go and find the shirt and the manager said i found it got it brought it back G- gave it back to him and the next game he scored the fact is the manager never found the shirt he just gave him a replica of the shirt <laughs> and told him it was the same shirt and it's, it's all a psychological thing. So I've got that. I've got, I'm the Pele equivalent of running, I think, in terms of that kind of thing. So yeah, weird, weird yeah. stuff. I think I'm a little different in that. Like if there's some courses, like there's a park run courses here and going the wrong way around them on like other days, to me, that feels great. I mean, it feels kind of a bit naughty sometimes, but it just looks like, yeah, I'm, I'm going the wrong way. I'm sticking it to the man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I can see, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate it. Sometimes it just feels so weird. Like with my running club, we do a, uh, we have a, uh, it's called like, like a summer handicap route we do in the summer. It's a really nice sort of uh, 8K sort of off-road uh, loop. But it's sometimes we'll do it the opposite way. And, you know, it just feels totally different. It, it feels much harder. It feels, you know, like you're running in a completely different place. And yeah, so it's totally bizarre. when you're used to doing something one way and then you do it the other way. So yeah, yeah throws you. Um, so your book, The Running Drug, is about kind of your experiences with diagnosis and recovery uh, with prostate cancer. And there was another part of the book that I kind of looked at and was interested. Um, it was how when you were going through that diagnosis process, it took a long time. It was very drawn out and you actually ended up getting much fitter because I guess you were mentally preparing yourself for potential um, medical procedures. But also the bit that we particularly like on this podcast is that you took up drinking green tea. Yeah. And we always have to talk about tea on this. So yeah. How was yeah. how did you get into green tea? Wow. Well, well, yeah, green tea is um it's that's it, not the bit you expected to talk about, is it? No, no, I didn't I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. But I, in the book I I, I call I, yeah, I think I've referred to green tea as like as like the methadone to to the heroin that is Yorkshire tea. Do you know what I mean? So it's if you're used to normal tea, coming off normal tea and going to green tea is very, very difficult and i've always been a tea drinker all my life and and you know you know i you know absolutely addicted addicted to it and then um when i was going through all this sort of diagnosis period for for what i went through and you know the doctors at times said you've got to try changing your diet a little bit and that might help to bring down your psa level um and so i uh, i thought okay all right fair enough and they said well i said what do you what will you do and they said oh well drink drink more green tea it's meant to be good good for men's health it's good for all your bits and bobs downstairs and I was like, oh, okay, all right, okay, a bit skeptical, but I thought I'd, I'd give it a go. So I, I sort of forced myself to drink, drink green tea at the time. And, uh, and you know, it's weird when you do something for long enough and you force yourself long enough, your taste buds adjust and what have you. So I found that over time, you know, I just got, got used to it. It's a bit like when you stop taking sugar in your tea, for example, and sometimes you know, then when you go back to sugar, you know, it tastes disgusting. So I spent ages drinking green tea to try and, and you know, improve my health and, uh, ended up sort of just getting addicted to that and then if anyone offers me a cup of a cup of sort of normal tea now I, you know it just, it just tastes weird it's all wrong 
So uh, you've got to yeah. know how to you've got to know how to brew green tea as well. I find you know you've got to do it at the right temperature. You've got to do it at the right time, or else yeah, yeah it can. A lot of people who say they don't like green tea. I always say, have you brewed it properly? <laughs> That's right. You, you can't leave the tea bag in the bag in the cup for too long. It's, it's not like it's it's not like a you don't you don't make tea green green tea like you make a builder's tea. No, exactly. Like, I used to drink tea where you leave the you could leave the tea bag in the cup for like half an hour and it would be so strong you could like stand a spoon up in it, but. Um, Green tea, no, it's just like a minute or two, and that's all we need. The rest of exactly. It. But yeah, but it saves me a fortune in milk. There's no milk needed for green tea, so there you go. Drink green Classic, tea. Classic uh, BS chat on this. Um, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned PSA levels there. That's an important thing. I think we need to get in there as well, isn't it? Yeah. So PSA level, now that will mean you know nothing to to most people, but it stands for prostate specific antigen, and it's the it's a marker, it's an indicator of of, of um, many things, uh, but one of the things is it could be an indicator of prostate cancer. So if you've got a prostate, then you will have a PSA level. So all men will have a will have a PSA level, and it's just something that that turns up in your in your blood test, and it indicates how healthy uh, or otherwise your your prostate is. The higher the number. The the, you know, the greater the risk that there's something wrong. It it is a very controversial figure, and there's a lot of debate and sort of clinical um, uh, yeah clinical debate and discussion around it as a, as a subject. And there's a lot of very specialist and experienced people who disagree over over what what may count as a abnormal PSA level. But my argument is, you know, it's better to know than, than not to know. So. My advice with, with to, to any any man listening, anyone anyone um, sort of at, at all concerned, is to know your PSA level. So know what your you know what your base level is when it comes to your PSA. So if you're 40 or above, I would say um, uh, actually I would say first of all before I talk about that is that you know PSA um, prostate cancer can k- kills uh, one in eight men in, in this this uh, or at least it diagnoses you know it, it's 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 diagnosed amongst one in eight men. It's one of the it is the biggest cancer killer of men in this country so it's a really really um, serious uh, disease um, but there's no um, national screening program for for prostate cancer so it's it's very much in the hands of of individuals to get themselves tested and to to um, uh, to to ask for that um, that support and and to, to go and seek that that kind of a test if you if you want to and my advice would always be to to know so if, if you're in your 40s or in your 50s and you've never had a blood test for your PSA I would recommend doing so, uh, getting that test and finding out what your level is. And uh, if it's low, you know, and, and, and no issues, then that's fine. But if you then get a retest in, say, five years time and that has gone up, um, then, you know, you can talk to your doctors about it. And if that rise is significant, then you can get it, uh, get it um, you know, f- further explored. But if you don't know your PSN and then you don't go for your first test until that five year later point, then you won't know what that rise has been. So, um, you know, you, you don't know what that base level is. So I would always say, find out what your PSA level is. Um, and from that point, then in later years, you'll be able to tell how much it's increased or how stable it is. And that will give you a good indicator um, of whether or not you need to get things uh, explored further. But um, yeah, it's, 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 it's nothing scary. It's a blood test. So it's, it's you know, 30 seconds with, with your, your GP um, and, and that's it. So it's definitely worth doing. In the UK, once you're 40 and above, you're entitled to a free health check with your GP anyway, where they may or may not test for this. But I think you said in the book that you have to ask specifically to make sure they do. I was really surprised that you have to be 40 before you can get a general health check, because I tried to get one a few years ago because I thought, yeah, if I'm going to start running ultras and things, seems like a good idea. But I couldn't get one. 
Yeah, I, I, it, it's, uh, I think the NHS just assumes that when you t- once you turn 40, things start to stop working. Things start to deteriorate and go downhill. And I can understand that. That's fair enough. But um, uh, it is amazing in this country. We are offered at 40 and 45 and 50, you know, a free health check where you can go to your GP and they'll do a few, you know, they'll take, take some blood. You might have to sort of wee into a pot and answer a few questions about how much you eat and drink and that kind of stuff. And then they'll sort of assess all of that and they'll give you a, an indicator of, of sort of how well you are and everything that you need to look out for. And I only went, uh, you know, I went because I was invited, but I went also because uh, we have a history of uh, high cholesterol in my family and I wanted to sort of check my cholesterol levels. So it turns out my cholesterol is fine, but my PSA was, was up the wall. So, um, you know, it can flag all kinds of different things. But, you know, the really scary thing in this country is that, you know, the vast majority of people, you know, don't attend their free health checks. They get invited and they don't go. Um, and that really sort of concerns me. So I've always sort of championed the NHS and these health checks and would say, if you are invited, go. It's half an hour out of your life um, and it could sa- it saved my life. So, you know, that that half an hour could make you know all the difference to you in your future life. So don't think it's just something that, you know, if you're feeling fine and you're assuming everything's OK, you know, don't throw that invite in the bin take the time and, and go and get yourself um, tested and checked out. It's definitely worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Don't be such a fucking man about it. And I'm not yeah. going to go to the doctors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we managed to drag uh, that interview back to the whole point of why we wanted to speak to him and his book eventually. And we'll have more from Tim later on. And we would love to hear if anyone has any of those really weird or specific habits like Tim does. That's something we would need to know about. Definitely. So if you're absolutely desperate to give us money, then you know what? We're okay with that. And you can head to patreon.com forward slash running is bullshit to give us two pounds a month, which pays for like tea and snacks and holidays and cocaine. Uh, To thank our donors, we sing your name in a section some people have called a part of the podcast. And Amy, we've got big expectations for you after last time. Oh, just you wait. Just you wait. Jonathan Carter, Rachel Bentley, Ian Hales, Victoria Dick, Debbie Hurley, Martin Kaplan, Nikki Genders, Tim Hughes, Matt Garner, Matt Jones, Charlie Neverson, Matt Newbury, Hugh Phillips, Paul Hibbert, Kel Ryder, Anthony Howe, Maria Wicks, Matt Calvin, Sophie Jacks, Julia Page, Ruth KD, Claire Dina, Steph Hall, Len Martin, Stuart Stevens, Bernadette McCarthy, Matt H, Carl Fleming, Karen Hamilton, Clark Gilmore, Jay Matthew Ware, Gabby Thomas, Naya, Dave Sinclair, Ivor Hewitt, Chris Whitmore, David Irwin, Penny Simpson. Sir Gibbon, Ian Thompson, Matt, Lee, Sam, Whaley, Victoria Knight, Phillips, Kath, Everard, Victoria Magnus, Liz, Reese, Angela Foster, Swales, Simon, Ross, Rick, Skyne, Brian, Simpson, Neil Denton, Amanda E. Hernandez, Gordy Farewell, Amanda Murray Hines, Kirk Shepherd, Elliot Lyne, Rob Spear, I've run out of names. So I can finish this chorus. Yay! Crazy as you learn it! <laughs> Wonderful, Amy. Thank you so much. 
Oh, I love a bit of Dolly. Love it. <laughs> Who doesn't? I, I hope she hears it. You know what? I was saying I was saying to Freya, Nine to Five is one of the best songs of all time. So you hope Dolly Parton is a listener <laughs> to the podcast? <laughs> you never know. She seems so lovely. I think, feel like if she listened to the podcast... And I, said, well, I think if we think? asked her, she'd probably say, yeah, of course. Yeah, and then she'd be really, really nice about it. Like, she really would. nice. She, she wouldn't oh. like all the cursing. No, she wouldn't, but she'd say that in a very polite way. Like, oh, yeah, I, I, actually, just, I love it. <laughs> she'd probably say cussing yeah. even better, which is just adorable. So anyway, we tried something a bit different on Twitter the other day, and we asked, what's something that you really like about running, but it sounds really weird to say out loud? I think I always like these kind of really niche things, these kind of little things, something that you really like, but you've never really said it, and you've never heard anyone else say it, and you think it might be really weird. That's what I want to hear about. For me, it's when my running bag starts getting a bit loose. Like after you've drunk loads of the water and it's just worked itself loose with it, you can pull the, the for mine's got some straps at the bottom. And if you pull those tight around the back, oh, it's lovely. It feels really satisfying. Like you're getting a little hug from your bag. <laughs> I think for me, it's uh, for some reason I ration my water. Like I can only have my water every mile. I can take like a little sip, unless it's too hot, obviously. Okay. But usually, like if I'm just hydrating as usual little sip every mile it's just something to look forward to and i get a look at my watch and i see like oh i'm on like 5.7 in a little bit i'll be able to have a sip of my water i just have that little sip i'm like oh i can't wait till the next mile can't Can't wait wait for the next sip can't wait. <laughs> I think this ties into Tim's uh, runner's OCD as well. I think it's yeah. a really interesting thing. So, yeah, if there's any more of those out there, we do want to hear about them. Mm. Very weird little things. Um, we did ask on Twitter um, what people liked, and we have had a few answers back, including James Adams, who said, knowing the absolute best place to hide dead bodies. Not that I've needed that info, but it's nice to have up my sleeve. And you know what? It is. It's very handy. Yeah. Thanks, you never James. know. You never know. Thanks, James. Uh, Faye Martin said, putting on a new pair of trainers and feeling how bouncy they are compared to your old ones and thinking, ah, yeah, that's how they're meant to be. I don't know why, but I just love that feeling. Starstruck. I think the starstruck <laughs> emoji that was... <laughs> I thought that, but I just thought I'd say it anyway. No, I, I, I get that. I, she I just feels starstruck. Like, yeah. <laughs> Faye, totally agree on that one. Love that bouncy new shoe feeling. Uh, Jess Hayworth at F the Ineffable said post run showers. Normal showers just don't compare, and I don't know when to have one when I haven't run. Now, you know what? That is true. Mm. Like, there's been times when I've gone three or four days without running, and then I've realized I don't think I've had a shower in the last three or four days (laughs) because it hasn't occurred to me to do it. Yeah, because why why would you have a shower if you haven't been for a run? Or sometimes I realize I haven't had a shower for a few days. In order to have a shower, I gotta go for a run first. Oh no, I don't do that. Like it can get pretty bad. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, so it'd be yeah, wasting a, a wasting a shower if I haven't been for a run first, you know? Yeah. Right. But I had a I had a post run bath today. If I if I if I've had a long run, I have a post run bath with lots of Epsom salts. I mean, I don't know scientifically whether they actually work, but as a placebo they're great, uh, at yeah. the very least. But there's something nice about having a post run bath as well when it's been chucking it down with rain, you've been kind of it's not too cold today, but maybe you've been a bit cold and it just feels like a little like the bag, it just feels like a warm hug. It's just nice. Yeah, I've 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 only ever done that after like really cold runs and I've had like in a bath with a cup of tea. It's quite nice. Oh yeah. Cup of tea in the bath. Oh, I love it. Love it. <laughs> well I've got really northern then. <laughs> Victoria ECY at Eden Cottage hmm. on uh, on Twitter says, after a run, standing with my toes on the edge of the curb and dropping my heels down so that my ankles crack. It's so satisfying. That sounds awful, Victoria. Your ankles crack. But that's perfect because it's such a weird thing. <laughs> oh. 
but good for you. Yeah, you ah, crack those ankles. ankles. So yeah, any more of those very niche, weird things. The kind of thing that you can't imagine anyone else ever saying. That's what I want to know. Not just like normal things. Um, so a few other tweets and messages. We had a tweet from Ali Tweedley at Jazz Ali. Said yesterday during my last long run before Loch Ness Marathon on Sunday, a wasp flew into my mouth and stung me on the tongue. Couldn't decide whether to send it to running his BS or running commentary, but it was such an awful experience. I'm going for both. That sounds horrendous. That's that's the sort of thing I have nightmares about because you always hear if something flies in your mouth and stings you and you can swell up and you can suffocate and all that sort of thing. I just oh, it's horrendous. But because it happened to someone else, it's very funny. <laughs> Oh, that's more reason to keep your mouth closed when you're running, I guess. And yeah, a good decision to send it to running commentary and us because they they were nice to her. They replied with sympathy. And obviously I'm just like, ha that's funny. <laughs> so you get a bit of both. Yeah. Don't forget to get in touch with your running bullshit on Twitter and Facebook. Just search Running is BS and let us know why you particularly hate running this week. All those weird little things that you like that you don't think anyone else likes. Um, or you can email us at runningisbull at gmail.com, just as these fine people did. Our first email says, Morning, Amy and Stuart. I'm a little late to the podcast, but I can't stop recommending it to people since I started listening. Thank you very much. I'm currently on the episode where you talk about your ultras, well, the first ultras, I believe, and just wanted to make Amy feel better about her lack of training, even though it was a few years ago now. I checked. This is episode 17 she's on, so she's got a long way to go before she hears this. Um, she said, I also did this in Ilted's Ultra in 2019. Now, that's the one that I did. Um, she said, my friend and I had volunteered the year before, so I had free entry into the next race. About six weeks before, I told my friend I was going to drop out because I hadn't trained and really didn't think I was capable of completing it. She persuaded me to still do it as the cutoff of 11 hours was very generous. And even if we walked the whole thing, we could complete it in time. We were very wrong. We were the last finishers and were so far behind the rest of the pack that Nathan, the organiser, had to come and find us several times and promised that he and his wife would wait as long as it took uh, to complete the course. We crossed the line at nearly 10pm after 12 hours and 54 minutes. I collapsed into Nathan's arms, sobbing and babbling about the fact my watch was still recording, even though its battery life was only supposed to be 11 hours. (laughs) As if that's the thing that you're really worried and wanted to talk about. Um... She says, so how much training is not much training? In the six months before the Ultra, I was averaging 50 miles a month, split over a few 5Ks. My only two long runs were Cardiff Half in October and the Richard Burton 10K in November. And that's, that is like four months before the race. Uh, she said, I will go back to the race, but purely as part of the Checkpoint 2 party and can honestly say I will never run an Ultra again. Thanks for a great podcast and I hope one day I'll actually catch up to listening in real time from Rian Evans. How far is this ultra? How many miles? That was a 50k, so 32 miles. Jeez. Oh. Uh, Yeah, it's a very hilly one. Um, There was maybe like 900, 1000 meters of elevation. There was three in particular hills that were really nasty. But 13 hours. I mean, I always say this on these kind of these long um, runs that people do. I don't mean this at all in terms of performance or pace, but that's a long time. Mm. It's a really long time to be out. But that, that, like I discussed on like a previous podcast after my ultra, that was the issue for me, is that I should have been running earlier because what got me towards the end was not the mileage, as it is in like how much, you know, 
it was it was the time on feet it was just having way too much time on feet because i'd done too much bloody walking at the beginning it's a, like you say it's a long time to be out especially 12 hours to cover 32 miles that's a lot of time on feet for sure yeah it's crazy when do you ever ever do that you yeah. know it's just oh so yeah wow and she's never ever gonna do an ultra again do you think she will uh, yeah yeah I, I, I think maybe a different train strategy it's funny because I, I started reading the show notes after I come back from my long run and I was a bit like delusional I was like always oh, um, after a long run I thought it said 50 miles a week at first and I was like shit if that's not enough then I am fucked <laughs> <laughs> but no 50 miles a month yeah <laughs> and just like a half marathon six months before yeah, I don't I think that really counts as training does it what a great point. taper that's kind of similar thing is though that's what I did for my 40 mile I was like yeah, I did. to be fair, I was doing like 30 mile um, weeks, and like 100 plus mile months. Yeah. But yeah, my longest run was 14 miles and it was like two months before the ultra. So like, that was incredibly bad. But but yeah, I, I feel a bit better now. Thanks, Rihanna. I feel a bit better about myself. <laughs> Love the ultra that though. Um, down in, starts in Burryport if anyone wants to do that one. The, um, the thing that attracted me to it, they said the food tables are stocked like a kid's birthday party. Oh. And that's perfect. They yeah. were amazing. Best of ones, best I've seen. I've had another email. We've got lots of emails this week, haven't we? Oh, yeah. only get one. Uh, it says, Hi, Stuart. Okay, right, okay. What about me? <laughs> no, no, well, he knows I'm the one doing all the work, so yeah, to be right. fair, yeah, probably best to uh direct all correspondence through Stuart. It says, Hi, Stuart. Just had to listen to episode 72 and it jogged my memory about the latest Brighton Marathon. I saw from a guy I follow on social media that the first and second place men had their results swapped, despite what the official results still show, due to an overtake just before the finish, but past the 26.2 point. Um, thought it might be worth a discussion because of the license issue slash incorrect distance. Surely it's whoever goes past the timing map first. As we know from ultras, many are sometimes a whole mile or two longer than advertised. All the best, Dan Lancaster. This is so uh, to form what I'm reading because so this is because the course was too long, so they're doing it from the from the point where it should have finished. Yeah, so I guess between twenty six point two and twenty six point you can't you can't do that whatever miles there was the guy overtook and they would go well technically he was the first one to finish the marathon yeah but the other guy was the first one to finish the race yeah and you can't. what like if if the race if the finish line was closer the guy would have overtaken earlier like that's not hard to wrap your heads around. That's, that's terrible. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's whoever. It, it doesn't matter what the distance is. It's whoever gets across the finish line first, surely. Yeah, yeah, because you, that's even your if your race strategy. is wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's even that's if your race strategy. distance is wrong. Ridiculous. That's oh, they're just they're just fucking up and they just put shit up on shit up on shit, isn't it? They just keep Poor digging Brighton. it. They keep digging. Terrible. Yeah, bless <laughs> them. Uh, we also had a long email from Debbie Hurley to say how while the Great North Run was super expensive, she actually really enjoyed it. Um, but then we can kind of skip down a bit, blah, 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 to the bullshit bits. That's the beer we're interested in. And she said the fact that the course was mostly on dual carriageway, which went up and down all the slip roads. And then it finished in a big field, which had been churned up the time they got back. That's bullshit. Oh, that's the I never get about the Great North Run. Okay, it's on a dual carriageway, not the best. But it goes up and down the slip roads. And I don't understand why. Yeah. And, and I get because in her email she talks about how well organised it was and the levels of support and I think that's blah, yeah. blah 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 yeah but I can't I can't I don't want to run around with industrial estates and dual carriageways I really don't I really don't um, yeah she said she probably wouldn't run it again but is curious by the the normal route where it finishes in South Shields 
Mm. I mean, at least it's, you're in South Shields, so you can get some chips. But then you still have to get a coach back to Newcastle, and it sounds like a ball ache. Yeah, yeah. I, I really don't understand why it's one of the most popular half marathons. I really don't. But there we go. East to our own. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's head back now to Tim Bainan to talk about his prostate. So you detail in your book, you were diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer, had your prostate removed, and you kind of took us all through that experience as well and the, the recovery. How long were you out of action for after that piece of surgery? Because that's, that's quite a big surgery, isn't it? Yeah, it's a big, it's a, yeah, it's a big op and it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, ter- it's a terrifying, terrifying experience. Um, and they put you uh, underneath this unbelievable, it's like this giant robot machine thing and they put you underneath, which is terrifying. It wasn't that, you, 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 you operate on by a robot? Yeah, by a robot. Because yeah, that's super called, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, ideally it's you don't want it to happen, but if it's going no. to. You, you want you want something like something out of Star Wars or Star Trek to do the job for you if you're going to have it done. But it was it is if you see if you get a chance to Google the Da Vinci machine, the Da Vinci robot is called. It is an amazing piece of kit. It's basically this incredible robot. It's got like eight arms and basically it's controlled by a whole team of surgeons um, who all actually have their back to you on computer screens whilst this machine is the robot is doing it. Uh, doing its thing and you know it's amazing how intricate they can do things but anyway it's an amazing bit of kit so yeah so i i went under the 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 knife as it was and then uh uh had all that done and then i was sort of out of action you know properly out of action for about sort of six weeks or so where you weren't allowed weren't allowed to do much uh, at all and um yeah but at that point i i kind of got myself back into um you know slowly back into fitness as soon as I could thereafter but I would say I mean for me personally because I knew that was going to happen I did all I could beforehand to try and get as fit as I could possibly be for surgery so that's the most ironic thing is the day I went in to have my operation I sort of felt I never felt as fit as I had up until that point because I'd really really done everything I could to sort of run as much as I could and and get as fit as I could so it's weird that you get to that point you, you know where you are super super fit and then you're deliberately taking yourself somewhere where you're going to be, you know, that in a few hours time, you're going to be laid up for six weeks. So, yeah, but I'm glad I did that because I think it definitely helped my recovery in the long and run. Was that, um, saying fit and so on, was that important in terms of your mental health? Well, you know, since the diagnosis, what, what was the oh, effect definitely. in terms of your mental health? Oh, definitely. And, you know, I write about that a lot in the book because for me, that was the, that was the bigger challenge than, than um, any of the physical stuff was dealing with the, the mental aspect of, of all of that, you know, I, I was, you know, I really struggled during the whole of the testing period and, and the, and in the build up to it and the diagnosis, you know, I, I kind of, I couldn't get out of my head, that sort of why me question that's always floating around my head all the time. And, you know, this is a disease that, you know, it's a, it's an old man's disease. You picture people in there, you know, with a bus pass and where was original, you know, and stuffed in their pockets, having, having to worry about this kind of thing, not, someone in their 40s with two young children and and you know uh and, and all of that and it so it was it was it was utterly terrifying and I couldn't help but sort of at times find myself wallowing in that sort of self-pity and and fear and anxiety that that, that went with it and that was all consuming at times and and uh, the only thing really that that helps you know you could talk to people but I didn't really find I, I know I know talking helps a lot of people personally for me I didn't find that really helpful. I didn't want to talk about it really. I just wanted to do anything else other than talk about it. Um, and then you have friends and family go, oh, do you know, what? I know so-and-so who had it and they're, they're fine now. And don't worry, I'm sure it's nothing to worry about. You won't have it. It'll all be fine. And you don't want to hear that either. So I didn't want to hear people wishing me well because 
they didn't know anything they didn't they weren't the doctors they didn't know so the only thing that actually worked for me was getting out there and and, and running and and using that time to be by myself and you know stick my headphones on and go for a run and and um you know just really sort of beast it for you know half an hour an hour or whatever it, it was going to be and at, at that time I wasn't thinking about anything other than just sort of you know just running and and I, I don't know about you guys but I find when I'm running sometimes you kind of get into that kind of like almost like a zen state where you're not thinking about stuff you just kind of yeah just kind of just running so mm-hmm. it has that effect of kind of wiping my mind of clutter and and mm-hmm. letting me uh, clear clear you know clear my thoughts and I'd always come back and I feel better for it and that would sort of sort my day out so it was definitely mm-hmm. definitely helped uh, during that time so, so now you've kind of oh, presumably recovered from like the immediate trauma of the surgery physically and mentally and you're running regularly again is there anything different about running now um gosh uh yeah are you approaching it any differently are you kind of careful I, I, are you more careful kind of in what you do no i don't i don't feel i'm more careful <laughs> i'm still, still an idiot when it comes to uh, you know i still i still push myself too hard you know and I'm, I'm, you know and that's what I like about running in that well you know I find it very difficult to go slowly I find it very difficult to have an easy run because I kind of also almost feel that kind of like I'm not I kind of wasted the, the run a little bit and I, again I you know I'm, I'm an idiot I'm totally I'm, a, I'm an amateur runner because all the good runners will tell you you need to run slowly you need to take you know your steady runs and all that yeah, kind don't of you stuff. be I saying just, junk miles yeah it's <laughs> not getting to that thing no, absolutely not <laughs> So, yeah, so I end up, you know, beasting myself. But I, I, I you know, I, I don't think I'm doing anything differently now than, than, I, than I was before, other than perhaps having a much, much greater appreciation now for the mental health benefits of, of, of running and spending time, spending time outdoors. I mean, I do, I'm lucky where I live in middle of Hampshire and, you know, I've got a huge amount of countryside on my doorstep. So, you know, I've done, one thing I have done much, much, much more of since is trail running. So I do probably 90% of my running now uh, on the trails and in the countryside around where I live. So I find that is, you know, I've really, really got into that and, and just being outside in nature is, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to take the next one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a bit about where the idea for the book came from and your process in, in thinking about that. Okay, the book. Yeah, well, this is—it's been a long time in the making. This one because I started writing it during during that six-week layoff when I came out of um, came out of hospital and had nothing to do. I sort of found myself sat in front of Homes Under the Hammer and the Telly and thinking, "This is what am I doing? This is crazy." So I started um, uh, started writing. You know, I'm a journalist by trade, so it's what I what I do, and it's something again, something I find sort of helps to clear my mind. So. I started writing down as much as I could remember about the whole experience and just kind of trying to get it down on paper. I didn't think at any point then it was going to end up being a book. I was just writing it just to get it out of my head and down on paper. Um, and then, so I did a whole load of stuff then, then sort of, you know, I got, got, got well again and got back into real life and left it for months, you know, even, even a year or two, I think, and, and kind of almost forgot about it. And then sort of lockdown happened uh, and I had a bit more time on my hands. And I thought, you know, I went and revisited it, and thought, actually, you know what, this might be something worth, worth finishing and worth sort of putting it, putting it together into a, a proper book. Uh, so I then sort of set about, you know, thinking along those lines and 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 doing it. And you know, I was really pleased with the end result. So it took a, it wasn't something I sort of sat down and did in one go. It was, you know, three years probably in the doing, but you know, there's a big two-year gap in the middle. So I think something like that. So yeah. 
so we assume that's available everywhere online and everything it's it's well it's it's uh, it's it's a self-published book so i published it mm-hmm. myself through um, through amazon so it's um yeah it's it's available on on kindle and, and as a, a paperback uh, through amazon um so you can search out the running drug and you should be able to to stumble onto it hopefully um but being self-published means that i had to uh, do a do all the editing myself so i spent i have i'm fed up i i've read every page so many times i'm sick to death death of reading my own book <laughs> and so, somebody uh, would still email you a typo somebody will uh, still send you a screenshot of a typo i'm sure well, they better not i'll tell you that much <laughs> so if anybody listening does spot a typo i don't want to know don't no. tell me honestly <laughs> i've had enough <laughs> But, and yeah. Yeah, we'll link to that on our website as well to make sure people pick it up maybe an early christmas present is a nice idea for that mm-hmm. isn't it yeah 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 there we go yeah um, good. the final question we always ask our guest is what is the most bullshit thing about running oh god uh oh, i think the most bullshit thing about running is is all the stuff that you're meant to do that, that who the hell has time to do it i i, <laughs> I don't I, you know, I, I went to the National Running Show in Farnborough uh, a few weekends mm. uh, ago and they had so much there about, you know, all the, all the stuff that you should be doing and all the, you know, stuff about weight training and, and you know, uh, yoga and Pilates and, and all these things that all good runners do. And, all you know, all these people, they're there, they're thoroughly interested in it and they're there throwing themselves into it and signing up for things left, right and centre. Who has time for it, any of it? I, I just don't have time for any of that. I can't fit it into, into life. I don't really have the inclination either, I must admit. So that's what I think is, is the most bullshit thing about running. It's the stuff that goes around it that you're meant to do. Yeah. But there you go. And even yeah. if you do have time for it, it's hard. So I don't want to. Oh, God. Who wants to do the plank for more than 10 seconds? It's for me, it's because I, don't see, because I don't see an immediate benefit. Like if I do so, I want it to make a difference the next day and it doesn't. And yeah. so I'll just get bored of it. Yeah, God. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so repetitive. I mean, who, who wants to spend you know you know every evening doing the same same thing in their lounge you know doing sit-ups and all that kind of stuff really oh man i couldn't think of anything worse <laughs> so no, no we'll just carry on getting injured all the time won't we just That's get it. a cross training <laughs> just deal with the injuries yeah. <laughs> 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 so i'd rather get, i'd rather get injured than <laughs> no, that's terrible no i'd rather get injured than do cross training yeah that's yeah. fair <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> Great that thank you very much, Tim. Great to have you on and please pick up uh, the you. running drug on Amazon. Nice one. Thank you guys. Really great to be here. Cool. Thank you. Thanks. And of course, as Tim says, and we've said many times, uh, make sure you get checked to have a word with the GP and uh, ask if you're a man over 40 or if you're a person with a prostate over 40, uh, please uh, get your PSA levels checked. The bullshit running news. So UTMB has just happened. It's like the big trail race, basically. It's kind of the only um, famous one there is, the only one that really goes on TV. And in some ways, I'm kind of not too fussed about the race itself and the results. I was interested in some of the new rules around painkillers. Now, the organisers have banned painkillers, including ibuprofen and similar drugs, within 24 hours and during the race. And a potentially tricky one uh, to fall foul of this is a ban on gas inhalation. So anyone using an inhaler for asthma will be out of the race. And apparently it's pretty common for runners to dose themselves up on painkillers and anti-vomiting drugs so they complete these kind of grueling races. But with the damage that ultra running does to your kidneys anyway in your other organs, it's feared that taking extra medication will cause even more problems. And yeah, I, th- I do kind of get that actually because... Mm. I've always find it odd that people, like, as standard, take 
painkillers during a marathon because like if you're in pain you're in pain for a reason you need to slow down and not ignore it yeah i've never taken painkillers and also because i'm very aware of like the damage it can do to your kidneys if you're getting dehydrated Mm. it's just not worth the risk it just seems like a bad idea overall like if you're in so much pain you need painkillers you need to drop out the thing i get more is the the diarrhea stuff so taking tablets to stop you having diarrhea but i didn't know that that also affects your kidneys um, well, yeah, that? well any medication, that. any medication is kind of dealt with mm. through yeah, all of your course, organs. Yeah, of course, because it's got to go, it's got to flush, yeah, of course, it's got to flush through, that and, makes sense. And any marathon or ultra does damage to your organs. Mm. Yeah, so, so I... Ha- having that I on top. That. Yeah, I, I get what they're saying, I totally get it. I guess because it's not, it's not common practice to see this in races, saying, you know, you can't do this. But um, I guess they do have a duty of care to their runners. Like, they have mm. to make the call, you know do all they can to make sure they're safe. And I guess part of that is saying you, you're you not supposed to be taking these sort of drugs while you're running because it's yeah. because of the dangers. Yeah, it's, it's possible to get to the point where the only way you can run a 50 miler is by taking a shitload of anti-vomiting drugs mm. and painkillers. And that's a really... if Well, everyone else is doing that. We're like, well, I'm going to have to do that as well now. Yeah. And if yeah. you have a bad reaction, that could really shorten your career if you really damage yourself. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. definitely. Yeah, so I, I get it. I, I get why they're doing that. Uh, this has been shared all over our socials last week as a funny story that Omar uh, Ahmed set off to run the 10K in Bristol but took the wrong turn when the races diverged and ended up accidentally winning the half marathon. However, he was subsequently disqualified because oh. he had entered the 10K, so therefore wasn't eligible for the half marathon. Despite lining up for the 10K, he finished four minutes ahead of the new winner and was invited to the Great Manchester Run, um, which it looks like he didn't actually run. <laughs> Perhaps he will do the 10K instead. Yeah, a, a lot of people shared this and were saying like, oh, it's really funny. He, you've made the mistake and he spoke to the guy next to him and said, oh, isn't this, we're on six miles. Yeah. And they said, no, it's the half marathon. Yeah. And he went on to win. But I was when I was reading it, I was thinking, well, he didn't enter the half marathon. He shouldn't be in that race. He shouldn't really be the winner. No, and then no. as it, it turns out, they did disqualify him. Yeah. Which kind of seems harsh, but it's also um, technically the the rule, which is yeah, I, I'm you all couldn't, for. Like, you couldn't just be a person who hadn't entered any race and just run the 10K and expect to win and be awarded a medal and all that. Yeah. Know, I get it. You've entered separate races. But to win four minutes faster than the official winner is pretty yeah, good he's, going. He's done all right. Yeah, I guess because he ran so bloody fast because he only thought he was running 10K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it, it was a bit of a shame the Bristol 10K and half marathon had to be at the same time because mm. you know, they were obviously both postponed and put on a new date. And so there, there was, and everyone started together, which just doesn't that seem like a good idea. No, Putting different yeah. distance race distances together in the same start, I think it's just always a bad idea. And so, mm. yeah, you had to then rely on people choosing the right direction, which is, again, relying on runners to uh, do the right thing is not always great. No, no, especially not like when you're tired and, you know, there's lots of people there as well. Things can be confusing. You know, it might seem obvious if you're a marshal or whatever, but actually, yeah, things when the blood is all in your legs rather than in your brain, things do get a bit confusing. So I get it still. It's a shame. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to rely on runners to think. You want to take all that away from them if possible. Exactly. Um, I, I dare say there'll be various stories from the London Marathon, so hopefully mm. there's something we can moan about in the next few episodes. Probably some drama. There's always drama. The <laughs> yeah, that's the bit we like. Yeah. We want to hear about the back of the pack. Mm-hmm. And let us know if you did a virtual London Marathon, how that went. 
if it was particularly interesting or bullshit. Uh, the weather in Cardiff was shit for it again, yeah. like it was and, last yeah, year. Yeah, and it was always like it wasn't just continuously just raining. It was like torrential downpours, then a bit of sun, and then a torrential downpour, yeah. and then a bit of sun, which is actually more annoying than just raining usually. Yeah, I had all of those. They were they were terrible. Now, he said the next few episodes, because, well, I'm not sure if we'll be able to do it for the next episode, because the next episode is our live episode. Uh, we'll be yes. in Cardiff. Now, we won't be live for all of you. Uh, we won't be streaming online because that's too hard. Uh, but we have got an audience in a cafe in Cardiff. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we've got some good guests and we'll have some good things to talk about. But we need your bullshit. Mm-hmm. So if you've had a particularly shit run this week, we want to hear about it. If there's something in particular that you need to get off your chest, we need to hear about it. We need to fill some of that time to make this cafe booking worthwhile. Yeah, or else we're going to like write twats just sat there with nothing to say. Yeah, we'll get our guests in and then we'll be done after 20 minutes and then yeah, yeah we need some things to talk about, please. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this bullshit, please visit runningisbs.com to see the show notes and the links from this episode and the whole back catalogue, as well as links to our Patreon, merch store and social medias. Goodbye. Bye. There was there was three really nasty hills. <laughs> William's howling behind me because Holly's gone out and he's very sad.